Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. That's correct. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It is Friday, March 6, 2020. It feels like Groundhog Day. Friday, March 6, 2020. Uh, and, but of course, it's the podcast. You can be listening anytime. It could be the year 2055, in which case you're going to want to know. Hey, Ben, what was the headlines on Friday, March 6? Good question. In the Sun-Times, it was the haves and the half-nots. The haves and the half-nots. They love their puns at the Sun-Times. Nearly. <laughs> Quite the pun issuers. <laughs> Nearly 50% of Chicago households struggle to afford basic necessities. In other words, nothing's changed. Meanwhile, in the Chicago Tribune, is that what you're going to ask me, D? Yes. Okay. The headline is, Illinois sees fifth case of virus. So, folks, if it's the year 2055, you should know there's something called the coronavirus that's spreading all over the world. And Donald Trump, who is our current president, is doing a wretched job of just anything, but in particularly, uh, you know, showing the country united to fight and to protect people's health. Anyway, that's the headlines. Uh, as we uh, do on all bonus shows, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University. And as long as we're doing this for, for future generations, I wrote the book that changed the world. <laughs> oh, that book! <laughs> it's called, not many people have actually bought it, but it's called It's Time to Fight Dirty. <laughs> well, if people haven't bought it, it's not because I haven't tried to get them to no, buy it. I appreciate it. that. I really do. I uh, really do. This is per perhaps the most influential book, uh, political science book I've read, uh, I don't want to say the last 10 years or so, and uh, this is... Um, David Ferris takes the Democratic Party, my beloved Democratic Party, to task uh, for, I just, I'm going to sum it up, being a bunch of freaking wimps mm -hmm. uh, and not having the courage of their convictions and pretending a world exists that doesn't exist, which is this bipartisan world where Republicans respect the rules when in fact Republicans play by no rules. Have you seen Hunters, by the way? It's an Amazon TV show about Nazi hunters. No, I haven't seen that. You haven't seen it? Well, anyway, there's a, it's not that great. But anyway, the point is, is that the, there's a recurrent theme. So the, um, the, the hunters who are hunting the Nazis uh, feel like they must abide by certain moral codes. Mm -hmm. And the Nazis are these evil villains who go, we play by no rule. That's yeah, a bad Nazi. Yeah. And it's like, I'm again, just like Ferris said about the yeah. Republicans. Right. Anyway. They want what they want. You know, you, you, you can't change it. So. That's right. So as long as you pretend as though there are rules, Joe Biden, mm -hmm. and that it's bipartisan, Joe Biden, you're never going to get anything because they but, don't play. Look, here's the deal. <laughs> uh, 
I'm gonna go and I'm gonna talk to Mitch McConnell and uh, look, folks, uh, leg hair. I'm gonna get the bill, the thing. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Play the Vote radio. For me. Make sure the television. The, excuse me. Make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. Ah, <laughs> oh uh, that's Joe Biden. Looks like he's going to be the nominee, David Ferris. Yeah, just in, like think of yourself in like six months, knocking on a door and being like, <laughs> "Can I have a conversation with you about Joe Biden?" Because <laughs> that's what we're all going to be doing. Uh, all right, let me start with that and. Um, so this show is basically uh, Joe Biden on the right and to the left. That's where that's sort of the parameters we generally follow. We have people of the Joe Biden persuasion on all the time, moderate Democrats sure. on all the time. That's sort of our right side of our show. And um, they defend Joe Biden, et cetera, and so forth. I personally uh, favor Bernie. I, make, I, I don't hide this. I will vote for Bernie. Happy to vote for Bernie. Really appreciate uh, the role Bernie has played in moving the Democratic Party to the left and putting Medicare for all uh, on the agenda. So I have to start off by saying that. That said, uh, I've been frustrated this week. This week, of course, began with Super Tuesday and Joe Biden winning 10 out of 14 races, sweeping the South just um, really convincingly winning the black vote in every state uh, uh, that there were our black people of significant numbers. So I get a sense that you share my frustration with the Bernie campaign. You've written about this uh, in your columns in the week. Go into some detail about this. Sure. Um, you know, I, I will be voting for Bernie um, on the 17th in Illinois. You know, I'm, I'm proud of that vote. But I do, I, I do share a sense of frustration with you in the sense that Bernie has like outflanked Elizabeth Warren to be the voice of the left, the voice of the progressive left in this country. And he has not delivered the kind of victory that we wanted. And I, and I think that it has to do with the way that Bernie has positioned himself with relationship to the Democratic Party. Okay. Um, if, you look at the, if you look at the results on Super Tuesday, you know, um, he lost by like almost 400,000 votes in Virginia, you know. Um, he lost by hundreds of thousands of votes in, in South Carolina. And, and those totals like just overwhelmed his, his margin in, in California that we know of so far, right? Um, and so if you're thinking about like, why did Bernie lose the South again, which he lost in 2016, um, I would offer a couple of theories, okay? The most important of which is that Bernie's criticism of the Democratic Party uh, his sort of like, I'm going to run against the party. I'm going to run against the establishment. I'm going to run against the senior figures in the party. And I'm not going to try to, to get them on board. Has been very damaging. Um, because if you are um, a black voter in the South, if you are a black voter in, in Georgia, if you're a black voter in South Carolina, and you are over the age of 60 or so, <laughs> I don't have the math off the top of my head. If you're, o if you're over the age of 60. Mm, that's about right, yeah. You remember the Jim Crow South. You know, like one of your formative experiences was, you know, going to a cafe and, and being made to leave or sitting on a bus and, and, and made to be sit in the back or going to a segregated school. Um, just like really appalling things that like today's contemporary white progressives like me cannot imagine and cannot uh, we can empathize with it, but we, we don't know what that feels like. Right. Um, and to those voters, the Democratic Party is the institution that delivered them from the strictures of the Jim Crow South. 
you know, it did not deliver them into a utopia of equality, obviously, <laughs> right? Uh, and that's why Bernie is so, I think, doing so well with younger black voters, um, because it, it, you know, the the world that the civil rights reformers wanted to bring into being has not has not come into being, you know. But to, but to your seventy year old Democrat um, black voter, the Democratic Party is is a thing that you care about and 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 you know worship the Democratic Party, but it but it informs your worldview, right? And so when Bernie sort of talks negatively about the party itself, I think that that has been driving down his margin now for two cycles in 2016 and 2020, because he doesn't understand the role that the party itself played in sort of like sacrificing itself on the altar of civil rights, mm -hmm. you know? And it's so weird because historically, <laughs> it, it really was just the president, you know? It was Johnson that did this um, because more, you know, the higher percentage of Republicans voted for the Civil Rights Act than Democrats did. Well, let's talk about this because this is uh, the historical precedent that we're operating out of. And you're absolutely correct when you talk about generational difference, not just among black people, but in white people too. Um, so many of my younger, uh, the guests who come on who are uh, vehemently for Bernie, don't appreciate, because they didn't live through it. And it's at best something they read about in a book these struggles that you're talking about. So in 1964, uh, the Civil Rights Act was passed. Uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson was the president of the United States. He was a Democrat, lifelong Democrat, ladies and gentlemen, from mm -hmm. the South, came of age uh, during Jim Crow, and had something of a transformation. It's part of the tragedy of Lyndon Johnson that he was so good on one issue, and so bad on another, Vietnam War, we'll put that to the side for the moment, but he had this transformation uh, in the aftermath of President Kennedy's assassination that he was going to be the president that would enact a civil rights bill. Uh, and you just, you told me this before we went on the air, you said more Republicans voted for the civil rights bill than Democrats. I didn't believe you. And it turned out that it wasn't literally more in numbers. It was a greater percentage. percentage. Yeah. What a different world, David. There were actually Republicans who were liberal on civil rights. I mean, it's a fascinating sort of like what could have been scenario for the Republican Party. Because at the time, um, I think that the the elected Republicans were much more in line with the civil rights agenda than elected Democrats. And it was Johnson himself who sort of like altered the course of American history by getting on board this, uh, the civil rights reform thing. And, you know, for the consequence of that is that black voters who came of age during that era have an incredible loyalty to the, the Democratic Party. Even though the sort of you know the broader the, the broader base of, of Democratic elected officials did not earn it, it's like Johnson earned it earned it, um, and I think that you have to speak the language of a certain kind of appreciation for the Democratic Party if you want the party's nomination. You know, maybe in twenty years when the black voters who came of age during the Civil Rights Act are gone. Um, we'd have a different story, but it's 2020, you know, and if you were 18 in, in 1964, you were born in 1946, right? Um, there are millions of voters who were alive and, and who were 18 in, in, in 1964. 
And they have proven really decisive in the Democratic primary. Um, they have gone for Joe Biden in, in extraordinarily stark numbers. And it's, it's frustrating to me, as somebody that, that would really prefer Bernie's agenda to be enacted over Joe Biden's agenda. You know, I would, I would crawl over hot coals for, <laughs> for either one of these dudes, you know, in, in November. I really will, and I'll, I'll work for it. But I really would prefer to be governed by Bernie, and I would, I would prefer Bernie's policy vision over Biden's policy vision. Um, and so it's, it's, it's particularly frustrating to me that Bernie successfully outflanked Elizabeth Warren for this <clears throat> sort of like progressive stalwart in the race. And he's not been able to capitalize that in the South. Now, could Warren have done it? I have no idea. Maybe not, right? Um, maybe, maybe these elderly black voters were going to go for Biden, no matter what Warren or what, what Sanders did. Um, but I, I, I really wish that the Sanders campaign had spent more time and, and, and had thought harder about how to appeal to people for whom the Democratic Party is not just like, oh, I prefer them to Republicans. The Democratic Party is the institution that like delivered you from a state of servitude into a state of like quasi inequality. You know, like like the Democratic Party is, is like pulled you you fell through the ice on Lake Michigan and the Democratic Party pulled you out, you know? For maybe they just all maybe, of its you, flaws. Yeah, maybe they just left you there. Yeah. Yeah. On the lake. You know, yeah. they were like, okay, we're gonna rescue you we're gonna take you out of the lake, but we're not gonna do anything for you. Yeah. Right. But you're still alive. Right? Yeah. Um, and so there's this incredible loyalty to the party um, for older black voters. That for you, that all you, of its flaws. All, all of its flaws, flaws for, yeah. which are which are a multitude. Yes. The party did something for you that was really important in your life and really important to the American story and really important to your your group. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and Bernie is not doing the work of whatever you have to do, like genuflect to it or like appeal to it or, or, or speak the language of language of it. I mean, he, Bernie's not, not even a it. Democrat. Yeah. Bernie's not even a Democrat. Bernie's a democratic socialist. So he's not even a Democrat. All right. Now let's, let's go back and think about this because again, this is a generational. What I'm about to say is generational. So Lyndon Baines Johnson, one, one more time, youngsters, a democratic president from the South, from Texas, Texas, from yeah. Texas, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. used all of his power and influence, and he had a lot of it. He was a master of corralling votes in the Senate when he was the Senate Majority Leader. You can read Robert Carroll's book on it if you're interested. Just take my word for it. You could spare yourself reading Carroll's book. Um, but he was a master of gathering votes. He used pretty much every ounce of influence he had to twist the arms to get the civil rights bill passed and he said it at the time we have just lost the south meaning democrats have lost the south and he's absolutely true the democrats who voted no on civil rights are now essentially the republicans of the, in some cases literally they were the same people they mm -hmm. transferred part they moved to the became republicans and their kids are now republicans there's been a wholesale transformation the republican party is now the um dominating party of the white south and so you're right if you're a black person above the age of 60 this is the world that you exist in the republican party is the the party of blatant white supremacy mm -hmm. the democratic party is 
the party of resistance, whatever mild, moderate, wimpy resistance there is. They, they, they put it up. Yeah. Right? They're the ones that did it. Yeah. Um, and so if you, if you want to know why, why black voters vote nine to one for Democrats, you know, it's not just about today. It's about yesterday. It's about 1960. It's about 1970. Um, and if you want to get those voters on your side, if you want to win a primary in the Democratic Party, you have to make inroads with those with those older black voters. Yeah. You, ju you just you can't just be like, well, demography is destiny, and in twenty twenty eight we're going to get these people, you know, or, or the older ones will be gone and whatever. It's like you have to. It's like this is a this is a struggle for today. Mm -hmm. And you have to get those voters today, and, and Bernie has not done that. So All right, far. now we'll, uh, there's two points I want to make very clear. Um, there's probably a generational uh, difference, not only in terms of uh, who black voters vote for uh, in the within the Democratic Party, but turnout. And I think part of that is that for people of the younger generation, just having been the party of Lyndon Johnson's not good enough, obviously, anymore in this day and age with such repressive policies and policing policies, et cetera, and so forth. So it's not good enough. There's so much alienation. Uh, so I think there's a drop off. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the potential voters that might go for Bernie are not voting. And the voters that are reluctant to buy his message are the ones who are voting. So that's the situation he's in. With that said, in your humble opinion, what could Bernie Sanders have done? I mean, he knew he's the same. This is left over from 2016, David. It's not like this is a new problem he's facing. What could he have done to try to win over some of these older voters? You know, I mean, I'm not a campaign strategist, right? So I, I, I appreciate the difficulty of, of getting people to change their minds. But um, Bernie did have this problem in 2016. Like, like Sanders lost the election in he lost the primary in 2016 on Super Tuesday in this in the same way that he lost, you know, that he probably lost it last week. Um, and, you know, we, we moved the states around, but the but the bottom line remained the same, which is he, he did not appeal to the core constituency of the Democratic Party. You know, and so when you read press reports that that Sanders did not reach out to the Clyburn campaign to, to, to Jim Clyburn in South Carolina, Congressman from South Carolina, yeah. Mm -hmm. The, the the house majority whip right like um big deal not every state has a Clyburn you know not every state has somebody that's like I can deliver <laughs> you know hundreds of thousands of people to you if you just do what I say but South Carolina is one of those places um and Clyburn says that that Sanders did not reach out to him he says they they didn't try to get my vote now it you might say, like, could he have done it? You know, like, if Sanders had reached out, Clyburn probably would have said no, which is probably true. But, like, why are you not trying? Or, like, why have you not gotten major endorsements from black leaders across the South? You know, where is your endorsement from a black leader in Texas, in Georgia, in South Carolina, in North Carolina, you know? Um, and I'm not saying that you can snap your fingers and make that happen, you know? I don't think that that's true. Um, but he has to put the legwork in and he either hasn't done it. I'm not on the campaign, but he, he either has not done it or he has not invested enough resources to make it a successful operation. And so after Super Tuesday, you're staring up at a big deficit again. And I think that that's most true in Texas. 
um, I, you know, everybody talks about California, you know, as the as the biggest thing from Super Tuesday. But Texas, you know, was a very close Biden Sanders state, um, and it's a place where if, if if Sanders had done significantly better, we would be having a, a pretty different discussion today. If if Sanders had done uh, much better in Texas, we'd yeah. have. Because at least you could say there's a... So are you at the position now where you say there's you don't see a path to victory for Bernie Sanders in the primary process? I mean, of course I see a, a path for victory. Like, I'm going to vote for Bernie on the 17th in Illinois. Uh, I'll do it proudly um, because Bernie's policy positions align much more closely with my values than Joe Biden's do. Um, and Biden has like a, I don't know, 60, 70 delegate lead, you know, which is, to be clear, half of the delegate lead that, that Clinton had on Sanders in, in 2016. So the weird part of the conversation we're having today, uh, which I think like the whole country has concluded that it's over, yeah, um, is that Bernie is much closer to the prize than he was at this point in 2016 when the campaign fought very vehemently for another three months to, to win and didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, they actually have a much more realistic shot at the nomination if they could turn some of these things around. Right. All right, so I I do note that uh, there were, he did came out with an Obama commercial, a commercial that I think it came out yesterday, uh, whatever, doesn't matter, he came out recently that was sort of uh, emphasizing his ties to Obama, which is, uh, kind of a stretch and it, it really shows you the challenge that Bernie said I'm not minimizing what Bernie and this is why I appreciate him so much for what he's tried to do but let's face this uh, Barack Obama obviously what I'm about to say uh, is so obvious but uh, his tremendous influence among black voters uh, in ways that uh, I mean, I just look in Chicago. His is his endorsement of Rahm Emanuel save Rahm's neck mm -hmm. in the second go around. I don't think there's any way in the world Rahm would have won if Barack Obama hadn't done those commercials for him. So uh, his influence is staggering, and Barack Obama has been it, whispering against Bernie for the last several months. Bar Barack Obama, from a political angle, just putting aside the symbolism of his uh, winning the election. Uh, in terms of black history, but just as a politician, he's a he's just, he's just like Biden. He's a moderate Dem. He's a Clinton yeah. Dem, yeah. and Bernie's fighting Clinton Dems, and so he's fighting the very guy who is so influential to so many black voters. It's a really tough sell to say all of a sudden, oh my good friend Barack. <laughs> Can it work? I mean, I don't know that there's a world in which Bernie could get. Obama's endorsement, you know, um, but I do think there's a world in which Bernie could appeal to a certain number of people who would be influenced by Obama's endorsement and and sort of mitigate it, you know, um, or to get Obama to stay out of it. And I think that Bernie has a lot of work to do um, in terms of coalition building within the party. And I'll, I'll just give you an example. I, I mentioned this in my column, but um, there were like, what, 26 people running for president a year ago? We were in the studio and we were like, oh my God, 
we need to like if we were to put the posters on the wall, <laughs> it would like stretch from. It was end. amazing. Yeah. Like John Delaney, like yeah. Marianne Williamson, like everybody was yeah. running for president. John Delaney, Every, how did I forget that name? Yeah. Everyone who looks in the mirror is like, oh, I could be president. <laughs> you know, this is the year. This is yeah. me. And Bernie has only been able to secure the 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 endorsement of like two of those people. Marianne um, Williamson. Marianne Williamson and, and Bill de Blasio. Neither of them, like, they don't have any constituency, you know? And if you look at voting records, the people um, who were closest to Bernie in the Senate, you know, and the people who were running, were Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. Now, I know that everybody on the, on the, on the left was like, Kamala Harris is a cop, you know, and we hate her, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but her voting record in Congress was actually very, very, very progressive. Like, she voted with Bernie, like, 99.9% .9 of the time. And same for Booker. Like, they, they both, whatever their past was, they both turned into, like, progressive stalwarts mm -hmm. who should have been amenable to endorsing Bernie Sanders when, he, when, when they dropped out of the race, and they didn't do it. And so that, to me, is an indictment of the Sanders strategy or, or something going on inside the campaign where they can't deliver the votes of anybody that matters to them before an important contest. You know, so if you look at, so before Super Tuesday, you know, Pete, Pete dropped out. We've talked about Pete a lot on this show. Mm, Mayor Pete. Mayor mm -hmm. Pete. He dropped out, you know, by Pete, you know, run for Congress or something. I don't, I don't care. But go away. <laughs> um, and he, he took his 7% of the vote and he, he delivered it to Biden. Mm -hmm. And then Klobuchar took her 3% of the vote and she delivered it to Biden. But the most important thing that she did was she delivered almost everyone in Minnesota yeah. that was going to vote for her. The day before, this is incredible, the day before the election, she was like, bye-bye. And then she delivered all of her voters in her home state yeah. to Joe Biden. And it just makes me wonder whether the Sanders campaign has anyone or could have anyone that has that, that, has that kind of clout who could go to a candidate who's dropping out and be like, we need you. You know, like this is this is what's happening with Liz Warren right now, which is that there's a lot of speculation about what she's going to do. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of expectation that she would endorse endorse Bernie, which it, it makes the most sense based on what her positions are. Mm -hmm. But is the campaign capable of doing whatever it needs to do? You know, offer her whatever she needs to be offered. Can can they deliver? Elizabeth Warren's endorsement. Well, and if they can't, I think he's going to lose badly. In, for the rest of this process, without yeah. Elizabeth Warren's endorsement. Yeah. Um, it, one of the frustrating things, it, now it's frustrating, uh, that I hear from so many of uh, Bernie supporters, follow me in this one. The model they're following is sort of Donald Trump's 2016 model, mm -hmm. where he just took on the Republican establishment and uh, prevailed, and now they all uh, bow to his wishes. He can he owns uh, the, the the Republican Party, and many of the, the the Bernie people that I talk to are saying that's a model, a, sort of a model that Bernie can follow in the Democratic Party. And when I hear that, that strikes me as unrealistic because I think the Democratic Party is so much more diverse. Than the Republican Party, and you have so many other sort of 
tenuous connections, people who are more often than not mad at each other uh, than you do in the Republican Party. I could just thinking about the people who come through this room and they're always fighting <laughs> with each other. Yeah. You know, they, they, you know, this faction has got a bone to pick with this faction, this center, so forth. So the notion, you know what I'm saying, that you could uh, you can unite this sort of unruly group it's a stretch that's my take what's your take yeah it's a stretch i mean uh, you know i think that what aoc said was true where she was like in in a functioning democracy me and joe biden would not be in the same party right like we there'd be four parties in america or, or six parties and you know aoc would be on the left and like biden would be in the center and then you know but that's not the party system we have um, and so the idea that Bernie is going to be able to like sort of unify the Democrats with rhetoric that criticizes Democrats at, at, at every turn is is questionable, and it's and it's based on one cycle where Trump was was able to do that by you know running against the Democratic uh, against the Republican Party. Yeah, and I don't think that Bernie can reproduce that. Um, it's also, I mean, if you look at the sort of the historiography that's already being produced about the Sanders campaign. It's like they thought that they could prevail in a contest with multiple candidates with 30 to 35% of the vote. And they didn't expect, I think, the winnowing of the field that happened right before Super Tuesday, which was really shocking. You know, so, you know, Pete and, and Amy dropped out and they were like, it's not just that they dropped out, they were like, we're dropping out, please vote for Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that changed the outcome of Super Tuesday from a situation where we were expecting a, a Sanders delegate lead of 100 to 200 to Biden's got a 75 to 100 delegate lead, and that's a big, big, big deal. And let me just point out again, that underscores the point I just made. Because in 2016, with Donald Trump, it wouldn't have mattered. Right. Jeb Bush drops out to support John Kasich. He's not bringing anybody with Mm-mm. him. Uh, it didn't happen. But Ted Cruz drops out and says, support Michael Ruby. I'm just making this up as I go along now. It wouldn't have mattered because... The Republican, Donald Trump was preaching something that reached throughout the Republican Party. It matters when Amy Klobuchar drops out and says, yeah. support Biden. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I, 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 I think it would have mattered in 2016. Like if, um, if in February, Kasich, Rubio, and uh, who's the other moderate? There was another moderate in Chrissy. there. If, 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 <laughs> Chrissy's a moderate. Okay, Chris. Christy. If they had all said, yeah, like, enough, yeah. you know, um, Cruz, you know, if they'd all settled on one person, or if Cruz, Christy, Furina, you know, whatever, all, all the also rans had said Ted Cruz, yeah, not Donald Trump, before Super Tuesday, that actually would have mattered. You know, but they, didn't, they weren't able to do that, and they, wanted, they weren't able to come to that kind of agreement. You know, it's like Cruz stayed in, uh, Rubio stayed in, Kasich stayed in to, you know, not to the bitter end, but like long enough that that the election was over. And so Democrats kind of, you know, institutional Democrats, I think, learned from that and and, and saw that if they wanted to stop a candidate that they didn't want at the top of the ticket, they have to convince these lower polling candidates to drop out and endorse the person that they want. Oh, there was that was all the pressure. Yeah. coming in uh that was all the uh the pressure i mean i just read all the art same articles you read or columns you read the week leading into 
you know, Super 2. That was the, the refrain. Get out, get out, get out. And then Bloomberg, don't let's not forget that factor. He got out the day. What a uh, Bloomberg. What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think we've had an opportunity to talk about where he, he came and went so fast. Uh, we pre- hardly knew you. Yeah, we hardly Mike knew you, Mike. No. Uh, all right, so we've just expressed our frustrations with Bernie's campaign, even as we both uh, continue to say we how much we admire the man for uh, the fight he's leading. Let's talk about the Joe Biden campaign. I see you got your Joe Biden button. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. No, I don't. Don't lie to your listeners. <laughs> it's no Man, joke. No, I don't have it. Uh, we'll be wearing a Joe Biden button come September. Uh, all right. We all will. So yeah. the standard line I get from uh, many of the Bernie supporters come through this studio is there's no way. I just heard this today. We had three guests. I think different guests told me this today or two. There's no way Joe Biden can win, Ben. No way. It's just going to be a repeat of 2016. There's absolutely no way. Trump's going to mop the floor with him, and it's just going to be a repeat of Hillary. First of all, Trump didn't mop the floor with Hillary Clinton. I just like, no, no, always no. throw that out. She won by 3 million votes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so uh, so let's flip the switch. Put your uh, thoughts on this. Do you believe that? Do you think there's no way Joe Biden can defeat Donald Trump? No, of course not. Um, and I'm voting for Bernie because I'm more aligned with Bernie on policy, mm-hmm. and I'd rather live in his America than Joe Biden's America. But I am as frustrated with like Joe Biden can't win arguments as I am with Bernie Sanders can't win arguments, because if you look at the polling, they do the same. You know, Biden's up by like 5.5, Bernie's up by 4.7, um, and these are not unknown people. You know, it's not like I'm polling. A random person that I picked off the street on the way to the metro, and you know, like, you know, will this person beat Trump? And people are like, I don't know who this person is. I have never, like, they, they know who Joe Biden is, they know who Bernie Sanders is, and they've been telling pollsters for five years that they would both beat Donald Trump. You know, um, and so you can you can look at both candidates and say they have these weaknesses and they have these strengths. Mm-hmm. You know, Biden's weaknesses are obvious <laughs> if you watch the debate they are really obvious yeah. you know he yeah. has substituted shouting for coherence yeah uh, and i guess people like that which is okay whatever <laughs> i, I want to i want to have a drink with with liz warren and, and talk about that but um he's doing fine in the polls like people don't care they just assume that he'll, you know even if he's losing his mind a little bit like Ray, <laughs> like reagan in his second term you know yeah he'll appoint people that are coherent and and have slept and (laughs) can still speak english and 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 it'll be fine yeah um in in the same way that people that think that bernie is going to take us to a mcgovern style disaster are basing their arguments in emotion in an anecdote and in history rather than in like what the data says right now and the data right now says that 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 bernie and biden would be roughly similar candidates in the election they would do roughly as well as each other um, I think if Trump is going to win, he'll beat, he would beat either of them. I think if Trump is going to lose, then either of them would beat Trump. And so I think that you have to sit down as a voter. You know, this is, people in Illinois are listening to this podcast, right? Yeah, right. Well, actually, we'd be surprised how many people outside. I, I, whenever I look at the numbers, David, I feel compelled, a tangent. I feel compelled to, to start explaining things because I realize a lot of people outside of Illinois, outside of Illinois. Yeah, are yeah. listening. But anyway, most people in Chicago listen to this. Go ahead. Indiana, you know, yeah. listen to me too. Um, vote for the person 
that you would like to be governed by. This is the one part of the process where you get to have your say. You know, like, uh, this candidate speaks to me. I agree with them. I, I would like to change the country in these ways and vote for that person. You know, the parties have not set up a process for us where we we have a like a perfect opportunity to do the right thing. Like, if they wanted to do that, they would they put up ranked choice voting. So I could go vote for, vote for Bernie or, or Warren, and I would know if they didn't win that, that my vote would go to the candidate that would win. We well, don't have those procedures, and so we have this very imperfect process where you have one opportunity to say to the party, this is what I want. And I'm going to tell you this. This is going to be really diff painful for me to say, but this is the story of my life as a lefty in America. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's happened. I've been on the losing side of every election except for Harold Washington, okay? Mm -hmm. Lefties are a minority in this country. Yeah. And to a certain degree, uh, Bernie was selling me a dream that I really wanted to believe in. But I, I think it, 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 most of those people making that vote were voting their choice. It was this notion of electability we hear this all the time that the voters are like, I'm just like, they're all pundits and I'm going to vote for the ones most electable, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, maybe true to some people, but I don't think most people, I think most, I think like when you talked about black voters in the South, Joe Biden is your preference. Yeah. It's not like they think, you know, they, they did this analysis and they, well, I listened to David Ferris and, you know, the probability of that's explained by. Uh, no, they, know, don't, they it, don't care about any of that stuff, yeah. right? Like they're not listening to me at all. And it, it, it's like the future is unknowable. You know, uh, we Nate Silver doesn't know. Nate Cohn doesn't know. Yeah. The forecasters don't know. None of us know what's going to happen in yes. November. All we have is this like very limited set of data about about who would do better against whom. Yeah. Um, and that data is very ambiguous. You know, like you, I could make a case to you. You know, if you if you like were like, please make the case. I could make the case for Joe Biden over Sanders in terms of winning. And I could make the case for Sanders over Biden. Um, but the data does not send a clear signal to me about one person being much better than the other. If it did, that would influence my vote. Like if Biden was doing eight points better than Sanders nationally, I'd be like, okay, well, I don't particularly care for him, but but fine, I will do it. But that's not what the data is telling us. What's happening is that like large numbers of Democratic voters, and this has been happening for three months, are getting psyched out because they are so afraid of another Trump term that they are just like, who is the safest choice? So that's you know? so that it's not that they prefer Joe Biden's. Uh, platform. No. It's, they, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's really frustrating to me because I do believe that most people in this country would want what Bernie's articulating for uh, for uh, health care. And when I read editorials that dismiss it or try to say that most people aren't for it, I find that really <laughs> irritating because we've had this conversation, the basic premise that people like like their health insurance is so ludicrous. Yeah, no, it's like, it's like Fenno's paradox for Congress. You know, it's like, 
uh, you disapprove of Congress, but you like your own congressman yeah. or congresswoman, yeah. right? Um, and so people dislike the healthcare system, but they might actually like their own setup or prefer their own setup to a radical change that they don't understand. And so that, that to me is also where Bernie could do a little bit better is to say to people, you know, like you, Ben, I know you want single payer, right? But this is what it would look like. I'm elected. Congress passes this bill in, in February of 2021. And this is what your experience would be like. Like you can keep going to the same doctor. You will actually have fewer costs. Um, and maybe in an ideal world, your employer would give you a raise because they no longer have to yeah. pay these taxes, you know? Um, but he hasn't, he hasn't really been putting it like that exactly. And so I think there's this, uh, inherent status quo bias in American politics where people are like, well, things are not great right now, but they could be worse <laughs> or they could be better. And when you're evaluating options of like, what do you do about healthcare? And people are like, on the right, you know, like, let's have it be a pure market where people they have a heart attack and they're like, let me look in the phone book to see who's got the cheapest price for, <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, this guy can repair an aorta for $20. Let me go to him. That sounds great. You know? oh, the yeah. storefront down the street. And then you know, people that want to nationalize it. Um, and I think everybody forgets that the status quo is an option for voters. Yeah. Um, and that even if they don't like the status quo, they are afraid that the alternative would be worse. Yeah. Well, um, listen, what Bernie was trying to do or is trying to do is so much diff diff more difficult than what Donald Trump did. And this is why I think it's a, a, a false uh, uh, comparison because Donald Trump was preaching essentially hate and division. And Bernie Sanders is asking for people like to preach love, brotherhood, and unity. And it's a lot easier to pick apart people based on their biases and prejudices and fears than it is to get people to drop the biases, prejudices, and fears and come together. Mm -hmm. And it's so much more difficult for Bernie to do what, to take on the established party that he's running in on a platform of love and understanding than what Donald Trump did was take on the party he was, uh, he was challenging on a platform of hate, fear, and division. That to me is just one on one of it, and then all these other complexities make it even more challenging. All right, now let's talk about Bernie's. Uh, your thoughts on one of Bernie's key strategies, which um, is to get people who've never been involved or haven't been recently been involved in the political process to get involved for his campaign. Motivate people who not registered to register. Motivate people and then vote. Motivate people who may be registered but haven't voted in a few years to come out and vote. That he says he talks about that all the time and his supporters talk about it all the time. Your uh, your response to that. I mean, that's the dream, right? Um, and we haven't seen it yet. You know, he has not been able to deliver the younger voters in these early primary states that he he needs to complete the revolution that he's promising us. Um, and so it's it's worrisome in, in one way. Um, if it was so worrisome that I thought it would doom him, I wouldn't vote for him in the primary. Um, one thing I would say is that there's statistically like no relationship between primary turnout and general election turnout. That's interesting. 
So if you look at sort of like the years where Democrats and Republicans have both had a competitive primary, there's no there's no relationship between who had the prior, uh, higher turnout and who won the election. Primary turnout is 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 mostly a function of who has the more competitive race. So if the Republican race wraps up in February, they're going to have lower turnout, but it doesn't mean they're going to lose the election and vice versa, right? So it could be the case right now that young people are like, I'm just waiting for you to deliver Bernie to me. <laughs> Please put Bernie on a plate, okay. bring him to me, and, and, and then in November I will turn out for him. I will do whatever. Yeah. Or I just can't be, you know, I'm, I'm busy. You know, like I'm in school and I have $5,000 yeah. of debt a day. Yeah. And I, I can't turn out for your stupid primary. Yeah. You know, so I'm not, th I'm not yeah. that actually worried that the that the low turnout among young people means that they won't turn out for him in the general because right now it's bernie versus a bunch of other people that pe you know you're like well you know warren is similar you know biden's uncle joe i could see him in the camaro just taking his sunglasses off yeah. <laughs> you know and young people are like that's you know whatever i don't care that much but in in november i i do think that young people will come out for bernie more than than biden you know i, I really do i do think that the, the real question is whether that offsets Bernie's losses among, you know, like the people that write op-eds for, for WAPO and like love David Frum or, or Max Boot, you know. Yeah. You know, the, the moderate, the, the Republicans that are like, ooh, I don't like these people it's so anymore, weird. you know. It's so weird that Democrats worry about them. I, I This is one of my pet peeves. I know. And this is the Bernie supporter of me. I just, whenever I read a New York Times editorial by David Brooks or... Uh, what's the other guy's name? Um, Do that. Yeah. Right. Is that my saying it right? I've yeah. never seen it. Uh, and then the old boy, Brett Stevens and um, Tom Friedman. I'm like... I know. What? You guys are terrible. Yeah. You guys are terrible. You don't represent any Democrats. You represent yourselves and yeah. like seven other people. Yeah. My, uh, my best friend from grad school is the guy that wrote the uh, Brett Stevens uh, bed bug tweet, you know? So I was his best man in his wedding, you know? And he's, did, you, did you say that on the show before and I forgot no, that? No, I don't think so. He's had a very interesting life since he sent that. Bed, oh my the bed God. Bug that's tweet. right. Just, just take a moment to explain that because many people may not know what you're alluding to. Um, so, so his name is Dave Carp. Um, and uh, he and I were in graduate school together about 15 years ago, University of Pennsylvania. And uh, there was a there was a bed bug outbreak in the New York Times office. And he he sent this like joke tweet that was like, "The bed bugs are Brett Stevens." <laughs> and Brett Stevens like wrote an email and copied his provost, his boss. Yeah. And was like, "This is unacceptable," you know, like implication being like Dave should be fired. Yeah. You know. Um, and Brett Stevens has since refused to go to, to, to my friend's school to debate him um, and done, you know, like compared him to like Himmler in, a, in, a, in an op-ed and just some, just some like crazy stuff, you yeah. know. And so I think the effort to appeal to, you know, obviously on team, my friend. Um, team Carp. Team Carp. Um, but the, the effort to say that like Brett Stevens and... David Brooks are the swing voters that we need to appeal to the most is preposterous. It's absolutely because they are not swing voters; yeah. they are Republicans. Thank you for and saying they, that. You know, like maybe you know, maybe maybe they would turn out for Joe Biden, but just them, you know. Yeah. Not not their friends. And not they, anyone that cares by about. By the them. way, they're agonizing over it. 
just it's it's so obnoxious you know they, and they, they, yeah and there's no data to to suggest yeah. that people like Brett Stevens or David Brooks who have identified with the Republican Party who have been voting for the Republican Party their whole lives and who have not renounced their party membership and been like I'm actually a democrat for sure like ride or die democrat yeah. if if you haven't done that you're still overwhelmingly likely to come out for the Republicans. And so I can guarantee you that in October, Brett Stevens, if, if Biden is the nominee, Brett Stevens is going to write a column like, hey, you know, I thought uh, maybe I could vote for a Dem, but it turns out, you know, Joe Biden is no. now, he, Joe Biden's for amnesty. Joe yeah. Biden's for the wealth tax. I can't do this. Yeah. I know. That's why Trump, I said, you know, the, the, four more years of Trump. Yeah. They, they'll be agonizing over this. That's what I'm saying. The agony over just listening to like, trying to convince you that they're like open-minded. You're not open-minded. You're a Republican. No. No. That's why I always laugh. Like, why Tribune endorsed uh, Biden today? Tribune right-wing right rag, uh, in terms of their editorial page, the rest of the paper's great. I always say that. Uh, so why would any Democrat be- take, listen, take listen to their advice? Am I allowed to say that the Tribune has the worst editorial board it's, in America? It's a podcast. You can say what you yeah. want. <laughs> uh, bunch, like just colossal morons who do not understand their audience. Um, and every cycle they make an endorsement that's like, I expected them to endorse Bloomberg because that seems like well, know, he's out of the race, what their jam was, but he's gone. Yeah. So I guess it's Biden. Yeah. So it's Biden or don't endorse anybody. You just, don't yeah, Just I, let the voters. Yeah. Choose. Let I feel the, like, uh, you know, endorsements are probably on their way out in terms of newspapers. Well, actually, sometimes uh, that's a whole yeah. other story. Sometimes dropped them for a while and then brought them back. The point is, you're you're a Republican newspaper. You have nothing but ill will for the Democratic Party. You're completely hypocritical when it comes to corruption. You condemn it when Democrats do it. And you look the other way when Republicans do it. You don't have any guts when it comes to Donald Trump. He's been freaking accused of rape. You haven't even talked about it. So stay out of I our like Democratic primaries. 63 okay? people. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah so anyway, I don't get me on. started on Republicans. Totally go on. Um, all right. And a final question before we break, because we're going to do a whole, we're going to uh, take advantage of you to do a whole other show on Mondale, which I can't wait to do, uh, is this. One of my favorite topics Joe Biden's apparent, I don't want to call it senility. What's the right word? Um, D, just play. It's a little bit mixed up. Mixed upism? Just play that, my favorite. We already played it once. Just play it again. Joe Biden. The record player thing? Yeah, record player. The way to fix uh, education is to play the record player for your kid at night. Here we go. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, The phone. Make sure the kids hear words. All right, so uh, so your your thoughts on what impact that'll have in the general election if he's the nominee? Oh my God! Okay, <laughs> so here's one thing I will say: Joe Biden is referencing like a 25 year old study that was like. You know, uh, minority kids don't do as well in school because their parents don't talk as much in front of them or they don't hear as many words. Okay, so somewhere in the back of Joe Biden's like sort of deteriorating, (laughs) he's he is referencing a real thing. Right. Which was which was a study that's been discredited. He obviously doesn't know that um, that says that, like, you you have to talk more, like play more, you know, but it it wasn't it definitely didn't say play the record player. (laughs) 
at night for your child because no one has record players anymore. <laughs> B, it wouldn't be like play the Bluetooth for your kids overnight because you have to speak to them in person. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I'm concerned that these like dimly remembered ideas are going to come out in a very haphazard way in the general election. Now, the other thing is that like people don't seem to care. Yes, you know, that's correct. You know, people like Democrats have been listening to Joe Biden say like weird, <laughs> disturbing and incoherent things for seven months. Yeah. And they're just like, whatever. I like I like Uncle Joe. You know, like, you think of Uncle Joe in the, in, in the Camaro and he's like, get on boards, kids. We're going to we're going to win the election. We're yeah. going to do this, you know, uh, and they just they just don't care. So uh, there's a certain amount of like um, ordinary people don't parse your statements in the way that like us politically engaged, you know, yeah. maniacs do. They're just like, I, that's, he seems like a nice old man and he's a Democrat. I will vote for him, yeah. you know? And I think that that's the dynamic we'll carry, that will carry the day unless it gets worse. And that's the, my concern is that there's something wrong with Joe Biden that will get worse between now and the debates with Trump that will be really problematic. Mm. And I don't have that. I have the. I'm worried about. I wish this was. I, I wish these were not our two choices. I really do. I love Bernie, but but my my concern is that he's going to be dead. You know, like the heart. If you look at an actuarial table, you know, somebody that's 79 has a heart attack, doesn't have a lot of runway left. You know, versus Biden, who is obviously experiencing cognitive decline, yeah. is, is almost uh. as old as Bernie. Um, and so I, I have, what I say to people is I have fears about both of them. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I would much, much rather Bernie Sanders be president. Um, I, there, there are some things that worry me about Bernie. There are some things that worry me about Biden. The polls just do not show that those fears are really anything that we should worry about. Just vote for the person that you want to be president yeah. and go home. All right, I'm going to close with this. This is I've said this many times in this show. I'll say it again. I'll be even more forceful about it. I don't think it matters if Joe Biden is incapable of speaking coherently mm -hmm. when it comes to the debate with Trump. Well, Trump is not coherent. Yeah, Trump's not. Yeah, I, it, I don't think he could get up there and babble. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it won't matter because Democrats are voting for him on with the notion that he can beat Trump. So he could get up there and just babble on about record players and doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And, and, the, and the political yeah. science says it doesn't matter either. Yeah. I mean, there's like. There's not a lot of stuff in my field that I'm very confident about, but I am confident that the debates have like a one to two percent effect on the outcome. Um, people have already made up their minds. Almost everyone that watches the debates is watching as like a, a cheerleader rather than a decider. Yeah. You know, and so unless Biden gets up there and he literally like forgets his name or he's like, even that, what, like, you remember Stockdale from '96? <laughs> yeah. Who I am I? Why am I here? <laughs> I can't. Who am I? Yeah. Uh, okay. Don't do that, man. Okay. Time Otherwise, out. Otherwise, you should be fine. I do not believe one vote changed because Stockdale did that in '96. No. That was a debate. Stockdale was running with Ross Perot. It was a third-party campaign. And by the way, Ross Perot delivered 
the election to Bill Clinton, the Clintonians, when they do their revision about how they're brilliant and how they figured out a formula for to win, and we should all listen to them, always leave out of the equation, David Ferris, that there was a third party candidate that took votes from George Bush in 92 and Bob Dole in 96. And yeah. so I don't even think stock, st- I actually kind of like Stockdale. I watched fun. it. I actually watched fun. it. But yeah. I, uh, I could tell you this. It, I am absolutely convinced based on everything I've read that Ronald W. Reagan, perhaps the most popular president the Republicans have had uh, in the last 100 years, was uh, advancing toward uh, in his Alzheimer's stage when he was in his second term. And it probably was already beginning by the time he was running in 1984. And it was obvious in that first debate that something wasn't right. They gave him one line. This is yeah. how good Reagan was. There Just deliver this. Again. No, no. The, there you go again. It was 1980. The one line was when they ask you a question about whether you're too old for the job, tell them, and I'm, I can't deliver nearly as well as Ronald Reagan is, I'm not going to hold my opponent's youthfulness <laughs> against him. The, everybody laughed. <laughs> He's, yeah. All right. he, was, he was He was older than Mondale, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so everybody's like, oh, he's not senile. He can deliver a line. Let's reelect him. And yeah. so you, I'm telling you right now, uh, I speak for all Democrats. Joe Biden can get up there and go, and I'm like, yeah, it sounds good to me. He'll still win. He'll, he'll still win. Yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, that is the end of the Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Thank you very much.